Hello, welcome to Uphill Both Ways. I'm Tess, your host, and today I am talking about the pressure we feel to buy stuff, mainly for ourselves, sometimes for other people, and how we can't escape it. I'm wondering when buying stuff is good, when buying stuff can be bad, when's the right time, is it worth it? I will say I'm really lucky to afford the little things from time to time, but that doesn't mean I don't think about when I should spend and when I should save. Before we begin, make sure you're following this podcast on your desired streaming platform and follow me on Instagram at UHBWpodcast and follow me on Twitter at UHBWtweets. My sibling pointed out the other day that it sounds like Abwa and I feel like, <laughs> could we make that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. Abwa podcast, guys. Woo. Okay. I guess I should honestly talk about why I named this podcast Uphill Both Ways because everyone's like, why did you name it that? Like, what's the big deal? I think the main reason is number one, I think it's hysterical how older generations use this phrase to explain their experiences because it's charged with such a feeling of, I had it worse than you. So I guess I'm kind of reclaiming it for our generation, talking about the things that we go through. And it's also controversial because people debate whether it's actually possible to go uphill both ways. Is there a giant mountain in between wherever you're going? It doesn't make sense. You'd have to go downhill the other way. And I like to talk about a lot of controversial things. Also, usually when people start out their stories by saying, like, I went uphill both ways, it's followed by some type of personal story, which is literally the point of my podcast, which is to share controversial and personal stories. So I think that's why. On that note, the other day I walked into the store because I needed sunscreen because I don't have any at the moment. I walked in and I was like, this is going to be so easy. I'm just going to pick a sunscreen. Why would I think twice? It's going to be a two second issue. And then I get to the sunscreen section and there's like over a hundred sunscreens. There's probably like a sunscreen for your ankle, a sunscreen for your armpit, a million different kinds of sunscreens. This put so much unnecessary pressure on me. I was like, I'm not even going to get any. I don't feel like dealing with what sunscreen to get. So I didn't end up buying any. And this is called choice overload. I might have learned this from a class I've taken, but choice overload is exactly what it sounds like. It's just when you get frustrated by too many choices and you end up not being able to decide so you don't get anything. And so now I don't have sunscreen, my skin isn't protected, and we all have these brands trying to do the same thing. And I knew if I'd gotten one sunscreen, I'd regret not getting another one. And I wanted to let out my frustration here because How am I supposed to make a decision, guys, when I'm in the aisles? This is for anything, too. This is like when I'm buying pasta. There's a million different kinds. You could get, like, cauliflower pasta now. How am I supposed to choose? It all looks so interesting, you know? The point is there's always a little bit of stress involved when buying things. I had a lot of questions that I wanted to ask throughout this episode, so I think I'm going to split it up that way. I might put, like timestamps in the show notes if you want to skip to a particular part. But starting off, my first question is, is there a pressure to conform? When should we actually buy things? Do we buy things for ourselves? Do we buy things because we feel this pressure to conform? One of the first times I remember wanting something so bad 
I was in probably second or third grade. And as a kid, I wore whatever I wanted. I loved experimenting with my style. I was mostly a tomboy. And sometimes I would wear knee socks. This was like, this was my look. I would wear knee socks with a tie-dye shirt and hand-me-down cargo shorts with my sambas because I was a soccer kid growing up. And now they're really popular, but I used to wear them growing up. Clearly, I did not care what anyone thought about what I wore because my outfits clashed for sure, but I loved wearing them. But I remember there was this inescapable Abercrombie craze. And at the time, Abercrombie came into the picture, everyone was wearing it. And this was a brand that, unbeknownst to me, was exclusive towards people who were not white, people who were not skinny, people who were not attractive. And that's a lot of people. They excluded a lot of people from their brand. But still, they had this image and they sold it really well. They had a reputation going for themselves and they got really, really popular. Obviously, at the time, I was completely unaware of the awful things that this brand was doing, but all I wanted was an Abercrombie shirt, not just a shirt from Abercrombie. No, like it needed to say Abercrombie on it. And I needed the logo. I wanted the moose, which is such a weird logo, <laughs> like a moose. What? That's so like, what? I just wanted anything that allowed me to brand myself as someone who wore Abercrombie because that's what everybody else was doing. And I know I was not the only kid who wanted Abercrombie because half the people, more than half the people I knew were wearing it. So obviously everyone wanted it. I don't know if it was just my town. And I don't think it was just my town because I saw Abercrombie and Fitch everywhere I went. And I could never muster up the courage to ask my parents for an Abercrombie shirt. It was like the scariest feeling in the world for me. And I was old enough to know, I, I guess I was self, self-aware enough to know that the only reason I wanted it is because everyone else had it. And I knew that that was probably not a good sell. I knew that was probably not a good reason to get something. Going up to my parents and being, can I get an Abercrombie shirt because everyone has it? And wear it with my tie-dye and cargo shorts and sambas? Like, obviously that's... That's not really something for me. I knew this was something I didn't actually like. So I never asked. The actual discomfort, the physical and mental discomfort I felt as a seven-year-old who did not own a single thing from Abercrombie was astounding. This took a toll on me every day. I'd wake up and be like, okay, today's the day. Today's the day. I am going to go shopping at Abercrombie and get a shirt from Abercrombie. I knew in the back of my head that this was not something my parents would do for me. This is a perfect example of herd mentality, a term that means exactly what it sounds like. It's just following the crowd, even at the expense of your own individuality. During that time period, around the same time, there was also a pressure to get feathers in your hair, like a singular feather. And people would actually pay to get these feathers in their hair. I wasn't as obsessed with getting a feather as I was with getting Abercrombie, probably because the feather was more of a trend, while Abercrombie felt more like this whole giant empire. 
And the feather was a big epiphany for me because this was one of the first times where I could step outside of the intense conformity and look at a trend from a more objective point of view. I kind of had this feeling, I was like, oh, I, I know this is a little weird. When the feather craze first started, I really wanted one, but by the end, I would look at them and think, what's the point of this? And that died down really fast. The feather trend did not stay as long as Abercrombie. So from an early age, I wanted stuff. I couldn't buy stuff. I mean, I could ask my parents and maybe convince them to get some things for me, but I wanted these things so badly. Mom, if you're listening, I love you so much. Thank you for never buying me Abercrombie. As a seven-year-old, I had no idea about the problems with that company, but now it's totally rebranded itself. Thank God, it was about time. But thank you for also never putting feathers in my hair, never buying anything just for the sole purpose so that I could feel that I felt like I fit in. Thank you for steering me away. You did buy me silly bands. I don't know what that was about. I remember as a kid, I wanted Rainbow Loom. And if you don't know what Rainbow Loom is, Rainbow Loom was this plastic loom that you would use to weave plastic colorful bands into bracelets and it came with a crochet hook and it was really fun. I got really good at it. I made hundreds of bracelets for my friends and family and I still have a giant bag of them in my basement probably that I haven't opened in years. When you compare Rainbow Loom to something like wearing Abercrombie or getting a feather, it is true that Rainbow Loom is more hands-on. I excelled on the Rainbow Loom and you could argue that the Rainbow Loom was worth buying because it was a creative and good use of my time. But I don't really like to say that because I think buying something like a shirt from Abercrombie, the rebranded version of course, could help with someone's creativity in a different way. But personally at that time, I don't know if I could have benefited from something like Abercrombie and Feathers. I think this would have been borderline just me trying to fit in, whereas the Rainbow Loom, despite being so popular, was something I actually enjoyed doing. So to what extent does buying stuff help with or hinder you as a person? What is worth buying for the greater good? No one knows the greater good like Frozone. So I have to reference this scene from The Incredibles where Frozone just can't find his super suit. Frozone needs his supersuit to save the people desperately. And if he doesn't have his suit, the public is at risk. What's going to happen? Frozone cares so deeply about this, and he is distressed by the fact that he, if he doesn't find his suit, he will miss out on his opportunity to help. His suit helps him fulfill his life's purpose. So think about it. Where is your supersuit? What are some things that you need in your life that give you purpose? I've had many super suits throughout the years, ranging from the Rainbow Loom to things like my guitar to getting flowers for myself at the store. And while these things don't directly help the public, they help me. 
if I help myself, I can contribute to society as a whole. We do need to buy stuff. I think thinking about products as supersuits helps me decide when to buy things and when to avoid buying things. My second question is, does money buy a feeling? We've all heard the question, does money buy happiness? And yeah, of course, I think money is a tool that you can totally utilize to make you feel happy, 100%. But money is also a tool that you can utilize to make you feel absolutely empty inside. If you want something really bad and then you buy it, it's going to release dopamine. It's going to release this temporary feeling of goodness in your brain. If you buy things every day because you hope it will somehow fill a void in your life, then this probably isn't going to make you happy long term. I think this question can be applied in a scenario when you're a person who already has a ton of money. And a person with less money might say to the person with a lot of money, like, spend it, like, get whatever you want. You don't need to worry about anything. You're loaded. But at what point does your money as that loaded person become a responsibility instead of an income? You're going to start asking yourself what your duty is as a wealthy person, like where to donate, how much, what your worth is, what your image is like, how you're perceived by other people, whether people only like you for your money. And then you start spiraling, even if you have hired people to manage it. Having a lot of money can be an emotional burden, I think. Let's say, for example, you're loaded. You're a millionaire. You're the CEO of a major company. And you, as an individual, basically have an infinite amount of assets because you're making so much more than anything is worth, so it's not even worth comparing. If you're at this point in your life, you are either two things. You are either a sick narcissist who does not care about anything but themselves, or you are yearning for real human connection. Say the holidays are coming up and everyone is super excited to see you. They are anticipating your arrival, asking when you're going to get there because you give the good gifts. Everyone's going to be talking about what you bring. You could probably get a yacht for each one of your family members, and you'd be fine. It would not break the bank at all. As your role as the rich relative, people might be expecting you to get something nice for them. So you do. You you wouldn't think twice. You get really nice gifts from the store to give out to everyone. The person receiving the gift from you might get the impression that the cool gifts are the only thing you're good for. They don't really know who you are. You're just the person with the money. As the person with the money, all you really want is a connection, but to other people, your wealth acts as a disabler of how genuine you are. And your money instead becomes who you are. And there's no separation between those two things. Money can cause confusion within many relationships and it can get in the way of what really matters, which is love. Gift-giving is stressful for anyone, really, regardless of economic status or wealth. It's because we worry about how the person receiving it will react. We are forced to make a decision for someone else and assume that they'll like it and then give it to them in front of a bunch of people. One of my favorite stories about gift-giving is from Gift of the Magi, which is a short story by O. Henry, which 
I read, I think, in freshman year. So I had to like chat GPT, a synopsis. So I kind of remember it. But basically, in this story, there's two characters, Jim and Della, and they're married and they sacrifice everything for each other. They're broke. They have no money. And it's around Christmas time and they both want to buy each other gifts. So Della's most prized possession is her hair. And it's the only thing she has. So she cuts it, she sells it, just so she can afford Jim a new watch chain. The irony is Jim sells his most prized possession, which is his watch, so he can buy Della new hairbrushes. And when Jim and Della reveal their gifts to each other, the reader would assume that they would get upset and be mad that they wasted their money and it's such a shame that this happened, but in reality, they aren't affected by this at all. They don't care about the brush. They don't care about the chain. Instead, these acts that they have just done for each other solidifies their love for each other. And as the reader, we don't know why they're poor. We don't know what's going to happen to the items. We don't really know what their story is. They're just two people. The item's uselessness to both parties implies that love conquers all. More often than not, the actions we go through are more of a gift than the actual gift itself. The gift, all it is, is just physical proof that we care. Love is really the driving force behind our actions, or it should be. My family celebrates Christmas every year, and Christmas time is my absolute favorite time of year, there's no doubt. If I could teleport to Christmas time right now, I would do it in a heartbeat. And it's never because of the gifts. The reason I love Christmas is because everyone feels so magical. We have family traditions, and I know a lot of people have family traditions, and sometimes a little bit of money is needed to sustain some of the activities we do. But I'll explain why having money really has nothing to do with the feeling of happiness people say money can buy. I know a lot of families make cookies every year. You could go out to the store and buy all of the fanciest ingredients in the store for your cookies. You could make them. You could make 100 cookies. My dad makes Toll House cookies every year just once a year. That's really it. That's his time. And they are the best things I have ever tasted in my life. The ingredients are average quality. He is by no means a professional chef. And every year, my siblings and I are like, how did you make this so good? These taste like crack. How did, what are you putting in them? Every single time, he answers with love. This is a secret ingredient that you cannot buy in the store. So thank God you're not loaded, Dad. It'd be really nice to have a yacht, though. Anyway, the next question is, does money buy productivity? This is a weird question because I've kind of flipped it. We usually are productive so we can make money, but I'm asking, does money buy productivity? I go to school in Boston, and at the end of last semester, I fell into a terrible habit of ordering coffee every single day for the last two weeks of the semester. And I did this to basically keep my sanity because finals week was atrocious. And I'm not going to do the math. My wallet suffered immensely. And this is so embarrassing because I am not the type of person who can just order coffee 
I don't have the means for that. I have money saved up from working jobs over the years, but I just like, that's not sustainable for me. Coffee is a cultural necessity here. A lot of people would argue that, I think. Boston has over 61 coffee shops per 100,000 people, and I think that's probably like 400 coffee shops total. And even if that stat isn't right, you could just take my word for it. So what's my point about coffee? I want you to picture that you're a runner. You run a lot. You enjoy running. You take it a little bit more seriously than the average person because it gives you joy, gets you out of the house, it's good for your health. These are all things that society would applaud you for. You notice that your shoes are about to give out and you think, shoot, I'm gonna have to drop 200 bucks on new running shoes so I can keep running. You also notice your favorite running shorts get ruined in the wash, so that's another 40 bucks down the drain, and I'm making these numbers up. But you replace these items without any hesitation because you're a runner and you need new shoes. You can't run without them. This has to happen in order for you to keep up your healthy lifestyle. No one would bat an eye. You wouldn't even bat an eye. This is just a natural thing that happens. This is a normal part of your life. You barely have any guilt about purchasing these items. I want you to now picture that you're like me. You drink coffee a lot, you enjoy it, you take it a little bit more seriously than the average person. You don't need it though. You don't need coffee to keep up your lifestyle. Society would probably not applaud this behavior, but you can't help dropping five or six bucks on a coffee. And now you feel super guilty for doing that. When I was thinking about where I could go to sit down and think about, you know, some notes for this episode. I was walking past pavement and I knew if I bought a coffee at pavement, not only would I be happy, but I would work more productively. I don't need the coffee to get caffeinated and feel less tired, but I know that having it, I'll associate it with work and be able to produce something worthy. And it's such a shame because with each sip, that's like 10 cents down the hatch probably a little bit more, honestly, 20 cents, a dollar, depends on how fast you're drinking your coffee. It's painful because I know going into that coffee shop will actually help me do my work and make me feel more accomplished. So I'm asking you guys, does buying stuff make you more productive? Do we feel more productive when we get new things? If you run down your sneakers, you feel fine getting new ones. But if you run out of productivity, Is making the trip to the coffee shop and buying something as unnecessary as coffee justified? For me, yes, I can totally justify this. I will buy my coffee. I will pay to watch that barista make an amazing latte for me and serve it to me. I am paying for that experience. If that motivates me to be productive, then I think it's worth it for me. The only difference between these two examples is that buying new sneakers directly affects your productivity while buying coffee indirectly affects your productivity. I'm using coffee as an example because it's something in my life that I don't necessarily need for the reasons it provides, but I still continue to get it. Coffee is just one thing in my life that doesn't really add much value in the areas it's supposed to, like taste and energy, but it adds a greater value in another area, which is productivity. 
I'm not saying that I go out every day and get coffee. This is something I can't do every day and I might do once a week or every other week because that's what I can afford. Do I think I can work on this? Like, do I think I can maybe eventually not ever walk into a coffee shop again to be productive? I think, yeah. And I think it's not necessarily a bad habit to get into. Maybe financially I could be a little bit smarter about it and I could someday probably work harder to condition myself to work in an environment without the need to pay for coffee eventually. But for right now, going into a coffee shop once a week or every other week really is motivating. I've seen how both buying and selling works just from being an average consumer and just by working a few minimum wage jobs. And in high school, I worked at a bookstore which also had a gift shop attached to it And I learned a lot about how to handle cash and how to make an eight-hour shift go by and all the typical stuff you learn at a minimum wage job. I also learned that people just buy stuff. Like, if it's there, you're going to buy it. And if it's not there, you're not going to buy it. But sometimes the only reason people buy stuff is just because it's there in their vicinity. And this is, I think people call this impulse buying, where you just buy stuff without thinking about it prior to purchasing it. Another thing I learned about this bookstore is that I'm awful at lying. I'm not good at selling things that I don't care about. And there were a lot of things in that store I didn't really care for. There were some things I did care for, but a lot of the things I didn't care for. And I saw these items every day for hours at a time. The store had a lot of stuff I would never buy, but to some people, these were the greatest inventions ever. I noticed that when I went shopping in other places, in places where I didn't work, I was obsessed with all the products I saw. Whereas when I'm selling products at the bookstore or the gift shop, I had no interest at all. There is the fact that I was working a minimum wage job and I might not have been part of the target audience of that store, but I think we have different perspectives as consumers versus sellers. And I think the more exposure you have to something over a longer period of time, the less likely you are to buy it. becomes less exciting. And I can really tell when I want something if it's been at least a month and I'm still wanting it. To touch on overconsumption, this is a huge problem in America and people can charge us for however much we're willing to pay and we give things value so people can make whatever they want they can start a business make a product it's hard to trust companies and find out which companies really work for you in a society where there is so much choice everywhere so i asked myself why am i believing this company why is there truth to it what are they selling because not only are they selling a product they're selling an idea and that's a big part of marketing too you can't just sell a product you need to sell something more than just that so you need to sell sustainability you need to sell um ending gun violence or other problems that people care about and once i've settled on brands that i can trust based on the things that i value i feel like my mind is settled on something which is a good feeling. Another part of buying things these days is you can just Amazon it. 
and to Amazon things has become a verb. And I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if it's good or bad. I just know that I love it. Who doesn't love Amazon? It has never been easier to buy stuff. And I think at first I was very skeptical. I was a hater. I did not want to admit that one company could have this much power, but I'm a lover. I love Amazon. I barely use Amazon just because I try not to buy stuff that I don't really need, but I think it's a good thing. I don't know. Another thing I think is good is trends. I'm pro trends for sure. I think trends are so great, especially for fashion. I love seeing what goes in and out of style. And I think it's a great way to define a decade or a year. I remember looking through one of my parents' yearbooks and people used to perm their hair. And now we look at that and it looks so funny, but I think like, what a cool trend to define your high school years. I think we can even see a huge difference in trends from just a few years ago. And while I don't participate in all trends or I might not like all of the trends like platform shoes, I think they give people the opportunity to see what they like and see what they don't like. They also might help people when choosing an outfit, they might give you a place to start. Trends are a perfect starting place, but I think they can be a little bit dangerous if you lose yourself in them and your entire outfit or your entire personality is heavily influenced or made up of pieces that you buy just because they're trending. Some trends happen to be free or really close to free. I remember when everyone was obsessed with tying a hair tie at the end of their shirt and then flipping it back up into the shirt to crop it. So some trends are pretty much free. I think trends for the most part are harmless, but with the trend cycle being so short now, it is really hard to keep up and some people might feel the need to conform and then they end up wasting money on something that was in last week and now it's the laughing stock of the year. So definitely check yourself before buying these things. You could end up wasting so much money on something that you don't actually like. But I think overall I can say I'm pro-trends because fortunately I do a pretty good job of controlling what I buy. So the question still remains, to buy or not to buy? Reflecting on what I've said, I think wanting to buy stuff definitely comes from some intense pressure. Like it really does. And... I think we're justified in buying things that bring out the best in us or that help the greater good. I think I can justify buying unnecessary things that I really don't need as long as they overall serve some purpose. It's a slippery slope and it's easy to fall into bad spending habits and end up with a ton of stuff you don't use. I think our perspectives on certain things shift depending on whether we're buying or whether we're selling them. We live in a society where there's a lot of pressure to buy, which can be uplifting and crushing at the same time. It just depends on how much control you have. As always, I hope you were able to relate to this episode or you learned something new. Remember to follow me on Instagram at Ubwa, UHBW podcast, and ask me questions on Twitter at UHBW tweets. I'll see you next time.